This episode is sponsored by Buy Texas Hemp. To source wholesale hemp from Texas farmers, visit buytexashemp.org. Hello, Texas, and welcome to In the Field. I'm your host, Zachary Maxwell president of Texas Hemp Growers, the association representing the greatest group of growers in the greatest state of the union. And for the next hour, we're going to explore the world of hemp. I'll be joined this episode by Brad Menard, CEO of The Plug Supply. We plan on talking about his company, the upcoming season, and how they plan on working with farmers, not only in Texas this year, but throughout the entire state. I'd like to open by recognizing the sponsor of today's episode, Buy Texas Hemp. If you are a wholesale purchaser, manufacturer, or retailer trying to get your hands on hemp resources and goods that are coming directly from Texas farmers, then visit buytexashemp.org. Fill out that form and we will definitely get back to you just as soon as we can. And we'll talk more about this opportunity towards the end of the episode, but first, I want to thank you for joining me today for our inaugural episode of In the Field. I do apologize that we had a few minor issues coming into this. And of course, by next week, we really hope to have a lot of that uh, ironed out. But we're going to try this this week, doing the live stream on YouTube. We'll try to come back with Facebook next week uh, when we have an extra special guest in the studio then. But first, I want to talk about some news. And so as a lot of us know, uh, right now, Texas licenses are being issued and we are seeing an explosion in interest from not only growers, but from handlers and processors as, as well uh, of interested persons that are just wanting to dive headfirst into the hemp industry. And here in Texas, uh, TDA is reporting that they have received over 546 industrial hemp license applications. That's 458 farmer applications, 58 handlers, and 30 sampler applications. One of the greater things that we saw come out of the rules change earlier this year was the inclusion of sampler licenses so that we're not going to be relying on the state department to come out there and collect our samples. This of course created a huge bottleneck for uh, farmers in other parts of the state last year where crops were going hot because they were waiting on the state samplers to make it out to their field in order to uh, test and make sure that, that everything's good. And so uh, to quote Sid Miller here, he says, it's now up to farmers and processors to build that Texas empire. And I couldn't agree more, Mr. Miller. In fact, we're very excited to announce that Sid will join us next week on In the Field for our second episode. And we're very excited to be able to explore the hemp industry with him and talk about how things are going there. TDA, of course, has been doing an incredible job during this whole entire shutdown that we're through. Uh, they have been working remotely, but they are getting those licenses issued right on time without delay, and we couldn't thank them enough for that. And so uh, we're very excited here as not only are licenses being issued, but new Varieties are being approved and added to the list every single day. And of course, that all means further excitement for our farmers. So what do I see for Texas hemp farmers this year? <clears throat> well, 
we've been hard at work over here with the Texas Hemp Growers team reaching out to, to growers all across this state. And here's what we're finding. You know, a lot of guys are, are, are truly taking our advice here as far as starting small, coming into this with an understanding that any money that is put into it has the potential to be lost. This is an investment. And there are many farmers across the country that are jumping in headfirst. They don't have their ducks in a row. And what's happening is they are losing their ass. And so we are uh, seeing farmers across the uh, state right now that are really coming on with, you know, one to five acres for the majority of them. We have a handful of growers that are going to be doing a little bigger than that. I did hear about one particular grower in the panhandle that is apparently going all in with a thousand acres of autoflower. So congratulations to that guy and that deal. So very exciting uh, things right now that are happening inside of Texas industry. Of course, we've got the greenhouse growers as well that are jumping online. And a lot of these folks that we're talking to are just excited to get in this year, get their hands a little dirty, and see what works best for them. And they truly are trying to find out what works best for them because a lot of these growers are starting out with variety trials. And this is something that we have uh, strongly encouraged really from day one. Uh, as we know here in this state, we have a very diverse climate. We can get into the, uh, the, the late freezes like we're experiencing right now here in the panhandle. Of course, you go down into south, southeast Texas right now, it's so humid that you could probably wear a t-shirt. And so this diverse climate, of course, has uh, created an environment where we have to almost test and we have to have an understanding of what works best. And what we're seeing is that farmers are fully understanding this. They're understanding the risk, they're understanding to start small, find out what works with the expectation that they're gonna scale up next year. Moving on, of course, the coronavirus has been affecting everybody uh, in this industry right now. And uh, if you or your families have personally uh, been affected by this virus, which is just uh, not only ravaging our state and country, but the whole world. And so truly my heart breaks for you if you have uh, uh, lost a loved one in the middle of all this, uh, or if you yourself have experienced some hardship. Uh, of course, our country being in the middle of a shutdown right now means that a lot of industries are in a free fall. And uh, certainly, uh, you know, the hemp industry and agriculture in general, this is one of those, uh, those industries, particularly agriculture, that has been deemed essential. And so despite this coronavirus, we're still seeing growers that are pushing ahead here in the state. But I'll be the first to admit that they are a little more hesitant today than they were a month ago. Of course, none of us could have predicted this uh, environment that we are currently facing. And so a lot of farmers are kind of taking a conservative approach to this. Uh, there's a lot of hesitancy about uh, whether or not this is going to last for very long or if we're going to see some kind of rebound. And, and of course, uh, uh, you know, a, a lot of growers are very confident that we're going to see that rebound. Um, and because of that, you do have growers that are going ahead and pushing on. They recognize that regardless of the status of the country, we will make it through this. 
and when we come through, we will be stronger. And those growers that took the risk, that jumped in right now, they are trying to uh, take advantage of that contraction that's happening in our economy. And I fully respect that. So, uh, but you do have a lot of growers right now that they're kind of scaling back their operations. They're seeing this, this sort of collapse in the economy right now. And because of that, uh, we have to be very careful and we have to make sure that, uh, uh, that, uh, that we are not going above and beyond what the economy can take. And of course, one of the things that growers need to watch out for is the processors. And because of everything that's going on, we understand that processing is a very, very expensive investment. And so some of these capital investors out there that initially about two months ago were gung-ho about building processing facilities today are maybe a little hesitant. That's not to say they're all pulling back because we have heard processing facilities that are going to be opening in East Texas, around Austin, around Houston. There's talk of things going on in West Texas as well as the Panhandle. And so um, we expect though that, that maybe some of these processors, I, I expect some of these processors probably will not materialize this year just as a result of all this virus having people holding on to their money a little bit more. That makes it more important that farmers have their buyers lined up and they know exactly where their biomass is going at the end of the road. And finally, those retailers are responding as well. They're getting hit. I know retailers whose business right now is down 30, 40%. And so we have to definitely account for that in our downline evaluation of how profitable this industry will be this year. If retailers are seeing a reduction in their sales, then processors could, could expect to see a reduction in the amount of raw material uh, going out to manufacturers and retailers and vice versa, farmers would then see a lack of biomass being taken by labs. However, uh, one of the things that's working in our favor right now is that there are stores that are fighting to make sure that those CBD stores are called an essential business and even just today, uh, I was sent a report about a lawsuit that has been filed down in San Antonio uh, by one such business that has been affected during the shutdown. And they're taking it to the government. They're taking it to the courts, trying to challenge who exactly gets to say what is and what isn't an essential business. If you ask me, every business is essential because we are all essential in the needs to fulfill our bills, to make sure the lights stay on and that we're feeding our families. And so we're hopeful that this is all gonna be over by the end of this month and that these CBD stores are gonna be able to rebound. That said, smokable flour, high demand. A lot of people are stressing out right now about everything that's going on with coronavirus and they're looking for outlets. They're looking for opportunities in order to relax, to take that edge off. And so we are seeing an increase in the amount of folks that are buying smokable flour on that market, which bodes very well for the Texas growers that are coming into the market this year, starting small, wanting to focus on that high grade organic smokable flour over biomass. And finally in news, we have these farmers 
all across the state right now that are preparing their operations. And the big thing that we're preparing for is planting into the ground. We are seeing many farmers across the state that are buying their seeds with the intention of germinating in flats and then transplanting into the field. And so we're very excited uh, because regardless of everything going on in our country right now, it has not slowed down the excitement for growers to get this plant into the ground uh, and just and just get that experience under their belt. And so we're super happy to uh, uh, to have you know uh, this industry right now is taking a hold inside of Texas, and certainly we cannot be uh, more happier than that. And so as growers are gearing up for the planting season, we know at least one person that's wrist deep in the dirt right now helping farmers get off the ground for what is sure to be a truly tumultuous year. Uh, for growers. And today I'm joined by that person. His name is Brad Menard. He's the CEO of the Plug Supply. And Brad joins us today. He's going to turn his microphone on there and we're going to welcome him to the show. So how's it going there, Brad? Hey, pretty good, Zach. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Very good. Well, why don't we just go ahead and open up here and talk a little bit about the plug supply. Do you want to tell me about who you are and where you position the plug supply in all of this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so the plug supply, we originally started as a distributor uh, for one of the most renowned labs that most of you know today, EcoGen Labs. And um, we use that to build the plug supply brand. And then we ran into a shortage of biomass product here about two years ago. And so we figured, hey, if we could, you know, sell more seeds to farmers and get more farmers growing this product, then we, in turn, we'd have more um, CBD isolate to be able to sell. Um, <clears throat> so we did that for, I would, I, would, I would say we started, what, two years ago, um, providing seeds and genetics to the farmers. And um, we noticed that there was a huge lack and, and barrier of, of education for these farmers to not only farm hemp and provide it to extractors, but you know historically the extractors are like, hey, go out and buy these seeds or, or buy these clones or seedlings. And hopefully <clears throat> if everything comes out right, you know, then we'll, we'll buy the product from you or we will extract it for you and then sell your product. So <clears throat> there's a huge education barrier on what it takes as a farmer to not only grow hemp, but to grow it at the quality standard that the extraction labs were after. So that's, that's kind of what, where we started and um, finding our niche as a company in this hemp industry was uh, figuring out how to provide that farmer with supports to ensure that they're reaching that quality standard uh, people are after. So uh, what we do is we provide the seeds or genetics. Uh, seedlings are another uh, option for our genetics. And we simultaneously present a distribution an extraction agreement. And when you sign both of those as a farmer, then it unlocks our full-time agronomy support. And we are currently building out that department. Bernardo Calo, our uh, chief agronomist, he's been doing a great job. And we're, we're all going through a little bit of growing pains. Um, so we just brought on another gentleman named Aaron Smith to help provide reinforcement to that um, department to be able to take on the demand of farmers that we're taking on right now. So um, we're really just trying to strive in customer support, utilize this coronavirus time to really strive in the customer support. So um, back to the plug supply, <clears throat> you sign both those agreements, you unlock the agronomy support, and then we extract the product for you with one of our extraction partners, and then we distribute the product for you. And as we all know, uh, distribution of the 
distillate or even the isolate has been a very hard task to pull off here in the United States, especially if you're trying to get the farmer a dollar amount per kilo that makes the money. Um, we've had to get creative with it here recently. We just launched THC free crude, which helps alleviate a lot of these chromatography bottlenecks, um, as well as um, the international or um, shipping across state lines um, area, where right now it's technically in the gray area because you're shipping product that does contain THC. There's not a real defined answer on that front. So we're really excited about that commodity using the United States market and then searching abroad to get higher market prices. And we're telling our farmers to kind of hold off on, on um, selling at United States market prices. Right now, I think a kilo of crude is going for like $150 a kilo. Well, the farmer's break even point is 400 a kilo. So when you started off and you're talking about I think a lot of farmers should go a little bit smaller this year because there's no lack of consumer demand on the smokable flower side. I think it's important to make sure that you have both ducks in a row just because out of your total amount of biomass, you're, you're going to be lucky to pull out a third, if not 25% of that in smokable, meaning that you're going to have all this extraction material left over. And I think farmers being flexible by just going into crude and then pivoting into whichever wholesale commodity, whether that be isolate, tea-free distillate, uh, the nano isolate is going to be a new hot commodity, I feel. But having that flexibility with those options, as well as the smokable flour, are a key to success for this 2020 harvest. And so I've heard you talking a lot about the, the nano distillates and isolates here. Would you mind elaborating a little bit on that for us? What is it about these, uh, uh, these nano distillates and isolates that we need to be watching out for? Well, so we launched healbrand.com November 1st, initially just as an outlet for our farmers and everybody else is just white labeling these brands. And we're like, hey, you know what? We can do it too. And let's, let's do it because if we can become less reliant on the wholesale market and, and focus more on the retail side where there's a huge lack of consumer demand, which is why we're experiencing all these issues, you know, that would be a, it would be a good guaranteed outlet for our farmers. And it'd be nice to get to that point where we could start offering guarantees per acre. But if we're reliant on the wholesale market, we can't do that. So we launched it initially with the farmers in mind. And then through uh, just trying out nano products through our product line, I think our biggest selling item would be our nano shots. That's AMP, which is like an energy shot without caffeine and then knockouts which is a sleep aid um, that also contains melatonin. Because we've had consumers tell us that they've been taking you know, pain medication for, for years on end, um, especially the elderly target market, because of the feedback they've given us on taking a nano product in comparison to a thousand milligram tincture, they're just feeling immediate results. So I feel like it's important not only for companies like ourselves, but for our entire industry to start looking at the nano products because I, th I believe it'll increase consumer demand compared to somebody, you know, like you've probably heard me say, you know, be committing to this thousand milligram tincture um, for seven to 14 days before it fully kicks in. Um, you know, on that day three, a lot of them are calling it snake oil where with the nano products, you're actually feeling, um, you're feeling the uh, relief or, um, whatever feeling you're getting from the CBD immediately. So I, th I just think it's, it's really important for the whole industry to start looking at nano and it also creates a really good win-win for our farmers and gets them that pricing that they need um, to, to make a profit. 
Now, uh, Brad, how'd you get started personally in him? What, what exactly attracted you to the industry? Well, I moved out to Colorado about 10 years ago, and I was working as a horseshoer. And then that's about the time that marijuana became legal here. And as a farrier horseshoer, I was a little bit slow in the fall and the winter, but I needed to buy Christmas presents as well. Uh, so I bought uh, some grow lights and, you know, jumped on this whole green rush and probably failed at least nine to 10 of my grows before I became somewhat decent. And then coincidentally, one of my horseshoeing clients um, sold his metal fabrication business and he bought Greenleaf Dispensary. And since I was the only grower that he knew, um, he brought me on as their master grower. So I worked as a grower for Greenleaf uh, for for a little bit of time. And then I would also still shoe horses um, afterwards because I could get a couple horses done an hour. So I put in a couple hours after. And then went through a lot of bad deals and um, went through a lot of trial and error. If I didn't have my horseshoe in as a backbone for me financially, I don't think I would have made it through um, to, this, to the moment where somebody asked me for CBD isolates uh, while I was a grower. And that's kind of what started this whole journey for us. And then um, selling kilos as a distributor for EcoGen um, helped us fund the infrastructure or the initial build out of the new ramped up version of the plug supply. And then um, providing seeds to farmers here last year, we let, I think we did like 175 farms in 14 states, a little over 8,000 acres. It was a big year for us and we learned a lot of what what to do and definitely what not to do uh, in a hurry but um, I think we had good results uh, trying to put things together last minute and trying to add on that agronomy support last minute we were barely able to connect the dots efficiently enough to where our farmers produced that uh, quality material that we were after and we didn't have to burn down any fields luckily last year so that was great um, and uh, now it's just it's kind of evolved over time we run into an issue and then um, we become reliant on a, on a partnership and then that doesn't pan out and then we just say, you know what, let's just do this ourselves. Let's just do this ourselves. So the plug supply is basically just a culmination of all the trial and error that I've went through uh, personally starting my journey about eight years ago on the cannabis side. And then um, all that knowledge I think was, was built up and, and primed us right in time for the hemp industry while I was in its infancy stages. And luckily we got in before preliminary year one, which year one I call 2019. So preliminary year one would be like 2018. And then because we're in our infancy stage, uh, just a, a couple of months of experience uh, over um, not getting that experience is very advantageous, I feel like, and important in a space that's so young. So, um, we're trying to figure this out. There's still so many kinks. There's, there's still so many problems across the board, uh, logistically, uh, as well as the distribution. But, you know, as we run into these hurdles, we're constantly trying to figure it out to not only make sense on the genetics end, but also just like the, the bigger picture. And uh, really excited uh, to work with Global Hemp Solutions. They're our, our new partnership that we announced. Uh, we've felt like they were very like-minded in the fact that they really just, they not only want to sell equipment, just like we not only want to sell seeds, but we want to provide that support and hold the hand of our clients to try to ensure success to the best of our ability. So we're really excited to work with those guys. And if 
uh, anybody has any drying needs or equipment needs, even on the extraction side, uh, Global Hemp Solutions are top notch. Great, great, great. You know, one of the reasons I reached out to you there, Brad, was because, uh, you know, you got, you, you get a respectable amount of views there on YouTube. And I think that you guys have developed somewhat of a reputation uh, based on the, uh, uh, you know, just the fact that uh, a lot of people are watching your videos on YouTube. In fact, uh, your videos were some of the first ones that even I came across. Uh, on that channel. And so I'm just wondering, you know, how has that helped your career along? Um, and, and really even those that have been interested in jumping on board, how has that whole video um, visual aid helped you guys along? Well, just, we've been, you know, bootstrapping this whole thing since the beginning. Like I said, I was selling eco gen kilos out of my horseshoeing truck here, just what a matter of two years ago. And then all of a sudden all this happened. So um, I, I would say, we've we with that being said we've had to be reliant on trying to focus on these on these niches um all the way through and it started with the videos we noticed that there's a significant lack of online content specifically in the hemp industry and you know we capitalize on that um i was able to find an amazing videographer named jonathan spaniel uh, him and i had a relationship in a previous life in the paintball world that's one of my um, favorite hobbies and he was one of the renowned paintball videographers. And when my marketing company told me that it cost me $15,000 to do a video, and at that time I was still selling kilos on my horseshoeing truck, um, I had to find another option. I found out Mr. Spaniel lived in Denver, connected with him, we immediately hit it off. And so I was able to um, get a great videographer to help um, project our vision nationally, which expedited our success dramatically. So. I think that if you're if you're a retail brand, you know, and I hate to create more competitors with us, but you know, any company uh, take advantage of the video. It, it definitely helps. And what it's also done is created this marketing funnel for us to really go through more experience, more rapidly. You know, not saying not saying good, not saying bad, but combination of both to help us try to figure this out. Because right now, there's not a book for us to follow. We're all writing the book as we go along here. And we're just trying to get the information to our farmers as fast as possible and, and make sure that we're setting up realistic expectations. And honestly, you know, uh, <clears throat> all my, all the events that you've, um, people have seen me talking at here recently, I'm just, you know, setting um, the realistic expectation of, of the distribution issues that we're currently facing. And prospective farmers, I tell them, you know, where we're headed as a company and, um, that we have dedicated bodies to help solve this problem. And I think we're really close, especially not being reliant on the United States market. And then just like the videos, staying on our toes with creating the THC free crude, um, a new commodity that I feel like will solve a lot of problems as well. Just things like that. It's been a culmination of, of making those kind of plays because um, most of our competitors are, are very heavily funded and um, we've had to figure out how to bootstrap this whole operation with those moves. But when people buy seeds from us, you know, it doesn't just cut off there. We use the money that we make on seeds to help fund figuring this whole um, story out. I mean, it's just, there's so many problems, like I said, and, um, but we have a, a, a solid team. Uh, you know, Bernardo Kahlo, like I said, chief agronomist. We have Christian Gorder, he's our chief operations officer. He's crushing it. Um, 
he, he's very instrumental in helping developing the, the new CRM uh, where we're going to maintain all the farming data. And that's one of the advantages that the farmers get this year is last year we collected all that field data from those farms. And this year we get to use it to our advantage um, with our farmers going into the 2020. Uh, Cody Younghine, she's been great. She has been instrumental on the HEAL project and she's also our regional sales manager. Uh, we just brought on Jordan. She's been awesome as well. She's a dual degree in soil sciences as well as law. <clears throat> and we pulled her from the Marijuana Enforcement Division of Colorado just to help make sure that we're, we're um, staying above board on, from a compliance standard. Um, we also just brought on CJ here about six months ago and he's been crushing the fulfillment, making sure all these seed orders get out on time. Last year was a scramble and super last minute. And um, so he's been doing great with that as well as the heel orders. And then uh, Aaron Smith, just to help reinforce the agronomy department. That's been a huge help. Um, we also are, have brought on um, an FDA um, compliance specialist to help make sure that we're running heel as well as all of our plug supply operations from the farming um, as well as our satellite locations are running parallel with the FDA standards because ultimately what we're all trying to do here is create this program, create this national family of people that are trying to write the book. And, and so far we've, we've had good luck on that. So um, we really, really strive to make our farmers happy, but to make our farmers happy, we gotta really focus on this, these distribution struggles and we have to make it easier for these companies that are regulated by the FDA to purchase from us. And so that's where our full traceability comes in. That was another thing that um, we had to kind of create the niche for, because that's where the industry should be going, uh, especially if you're regulated by the FDA uh, with the full traceability via QR code and barcodes. That's really important this year. Um, but yeah. I don't know if that right. answers your question. Sorry, I went down the rabbit hole. A yeah, bit. no, no, absolutely. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, so, you know, I want to shift gears here, here for a second because you mentioned something earlier. And I got to be honest with you, Brad. You're a little bit of a controversial guy to get on this show today. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but, uh, but you've got a couple of haters out there, actually. And I'm just wondering, uh, uh, you know, what is all that about? I mean, we, we had some, some pretty pretty interesting resistance whenever whenever people found out you were going to be on the show so um you know have you dealt with haters in in your business and what you're doing yeah i mean um you know right now there's a huge downturn in the economy and and with that um you know it creates a lot of resentment a lot of frustration a lot of pressure so i think that's partially it but you know the other partially also we're all writing the book right now and you know we're not we're not perfect. We, people think that, you know, we're the plug supply. We just have everything figured out and we don't, um, you know, we're, we're striving towards that. Um, but also just, you know, I, I think with our, with our marketing and things like that, it, it helped us come up really fast. So, you know, from a competitor's perspective, I totally understand the feelings of resentment that way too, you know? So I think it's a culmination of all things, but ultimately what everybody needs to know is, any of these companies that are standing here, we don't have it figured out. And we're not claiming by any means that we do, uh, but we're not looking you know, for, for people to, 
that want to hop in that are looking at this space uh, just as a get rich quick kind of scheme. We're looking for people to help us write the book so that we can avoid some of these issues that people may have happened, you know, or, or have went through with us in the past. So um, we are making changes internally um, to try to solve some of these issues as well. You know, coming from a farrier or horseshoeing background, I've had to learn a lot of new things on the fly and I'm continuing to do so. So, um, you know, uh, as far as any hate out there goes, um, you know, it's, it used to bother me. It used to bother me quite a bit because I, I just want to make everybody happy. But what I'm realizing now is as we scale that, you know, talking to my advisors about this, that I just can't please everybody in the world. But as long as we win more than, way more than we lose, I think we're on the right track. And then it's also important to identify the negative feedback so we can help solve the problems so we can just move forward a lot stronger. Right, right. Well, and, and you know, I usually uh, like to do research on, uh, on anybody I'm going to have on my show so that we can, we can make sure that we're asking good questions. And, and one of the things I did find, and I, I just wanted to, you know, see if you could share some feedback with us, because, you know, sometimes these things can, can really create um, problems in the industry. I noticed that you've got a lawsuit going on right now, I guess, with a farmer out of Kentucky. Uh, relative maybe just some to some biomass and I'm just wondering um, maybe you could provide us some context on what's going on there because obviously uh, with that that suit it kind of reflects badly on your company there as maybe uh, over promising and under delivering could you um, kind of help me understand what happened with the farmer in Kentucky uh, yeah so we had a farmer that didn't utilize like our full turnkey thing um, he didn't buy seeds from us. He bought seeds from another source. And then um, he had really good biomass. So I really wanted to put him first in our queue um, to try to make him happy because I knew that he had a social media following. And I really just wanted to go through my best efforts to try to make a win out of that situation. And then um, we had been, he had been requesting payment early, which, you know, in the farmer's defense, I mean, everybody's got bills to pay. And a lot of people assumed that they were going to make um, these chunks of money right away. Like there's a magical money fair. You're going to show up and just buy the product or, or buy the T-free distillate or whatever the product was. And um, we all ran into distribution issues. Um, but, you know, we feel very confident in the lawsuit primarily because we weren't in default in our contract at all. Um, you know, we were being demanded to, to pay a little bit early, which is understandable on the farmer's part, you know, and this is, again, with the downturn in the economy, the downturn in our, um, in our industry as a whole, and just everybody just trying to figure everything out, um, you know, is, it's, the frustration is understandable. So uh, we're going to get through it. And, you know, ultimately we are striving to make sure that we can help the farmer. That is priority number one. Um, things don't go according to plans, you know, as much as I'd like to get material done as early as possible for every farmer, it's just sometimes not in the case or uh, within our control. So, um, but as long as, we're not, as long as we're not in default in our contracts, I think that's probably the main priority, which we're not. Okay, great. Well, you know, I wanted to give you a chance to kind of share your side of that uh, there because I did come across it in my research. But, you know, would you do anything different in, uh, in that scenario there? Um, not really, you know, there wasn't anything with really within my control. I tried to do the best that we could and, um, 
So I, I think that you know we handled the situation appropriately, and we will continue to do so, and we'll continue to learn from situations like this to avoid them in the future. So you've kind of gone through the fact that you know a lot of these farmers, this you know that have jumped into this are you know, they're reporting losses and uh, it's because a lot of them don't have those uh, distribution endpoints set up. Uh, what do you think is the biggest hurdle that a farmer needs to watch out for this year? I would say it's the amount of acres that you plant. You got to make sure that that is dictated based on your harvest and drying infrastructure to maintain the quality. The last thing you want to do is let somebody try to sell you a bunch of seeds, tell you to do 500 acres, and then tell you to stylage chop the material. Because I think the majority of the failure this year with the farmers occurred because of that. And then it also decreased the overall market value because I think the market value is based on speculation on the amount of acres that were registered, not taking into consideration which amount of acres were hitting the quality standard that a buyer would even look at or an extractor. So I think it's start with your drying infrastructure. That's going to dictate the amount of acres that you do with a combination of making sure you feel confident in the end game. We have a lot of farmers that are doing, you know, a couple acres and they want us to help them build their brands out just like we did for the plug supply and heal. I think that's a good option because that, um, helps you maintain your independence and self-reliance compared to having to be reliant on connecting a bunch of dots. Now, if you're looking to just sell into the wholesale market, uh, like I said in the past, we are dedicating a full team for international distribution. Right now, um, we just lined up our import-export and um, as well as our um, paperwork with the health department. Just, and then it also plays out nice, really nice with our full traceability that we already have in place because that's required shipping um, wholesale product to other countries. So I just tell them, you know, straight up, there's distribution issues. And again, we don't have a book to follow. We're writing the book as we go along. This is what we're doing to work on solving the problem. Um, don't do any, don't plant any more acres than you feel comfortable with uh, potentially losing on or breaking even on. And let's just use this year to kind of take a step back and, um, and just try to figure it out more properly. And I think there's going to be a lot less farmers growing this year uh, with all the horror stories that happened last year. And um, I think it's this market is going to stabilize itself much better for the 2020 harvest. Um, and then going forward into 2021, I think it'll be better. But again, it's in, the consumer demand is really important. That's why I'm really excited about the nano products, um, as well as the international distribution to help ensure that our farmers not only get paid, but get paid on a profit margin. And right now we're, you know, we can sell kilos all day for market pricing at $150 a kilo for crude or $750 a kilo for isolate. That's not the problem. The problem is you don't make money that way. Why would you buy from the plug supply next year? In order for us to make sense of this, we need to make sure the farmer makes money consistently. Um, and we've had to get creative to be able to perform uh, for the farmer on that basis. Now, I understand that you've uh, got an operation that you're launching here in uh, Texas. Do you want to talk to us about that? Yeah, uh, actually today is like perfect timing. Uh, we just signed a deal um, 
for the Plug Supply of Texas. It's going to be primarily based out of uh, Dallas um, with a combination of some Austin facilities. Uh, I think because your state is so large, we'll probably have to segregate it out um, you know, to limit it to Dallas-Fort Worth. We're going to have to create another one, I think, in the Austin area, Houston, as well as San Antonio, just to make sure that we, we're not only selling the genetics, but we're providing that boots on the ground support from our farming partners in those areas um, to the hubs of farmers in those areas. So that's the biggest thing for us is not scaling too fast. We went through a lot of growing pains in the past and I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about this Corona time, believe it or not, because it actually slows everything down. You know, it allowed this opportunity with you guys um, and it allows us to get our ducks in a row um, before the, the peak of the, the season, which I think everything gets, starts to get really hectic come June time, planting season. Great, great. And so if our listeners wanted to learn more about the plug supply, where would they go to find that information? Uh, so our new website for the plug supply, the main plug supply is coming online this week. It'll be Friday. That's the plug, www.theplugsupply.com. And if you're in Texas, we just created a plug supply, um, Texas Facebook page. Uh, please like, and subscribe to that. Um, and then it, we're going to start ramping up our video production here, uh, with prestige designs and branding. And, um, please feel free to check out our YouTube channel and then just type in the plug supply and subscribe to that for, for updates. And we'll keep everybody updated as we make progress on this distribution uh, forefront. Very cool. Well, hey, Brad, I really appreciate you joining us today for our episode of In the Field. And uh, again, you can go online and visit the plug supply on their website or also find them on YouTube. So thanks for your time, Brad. Yep. Thank you, Zach. All right. Take care. All right. Bye. And so that was Brad Menard, the CEO of the Plug Supply, joining us there as the first guest on In the Field. And so I want to uh, thank you for joining us next week. I'm excited to welcome the State Agriculture Commissioner, Sid Miller, to the show. We're very excited to bring him on as the chief enforcement officer behind the state's hemp cultivation program. We're excited to receive his take on the industry and its futures in Texas. We'll start that episode a hair later at 7.15 to accommodate his busy schedule, but we're excited to have him and I hope you'll join us at that time. I also want to recognize again our sponsor, the Buy Texas Hemp Program. This is a very special program to me. I hold it very dearly. This is a Texas hemp growers campaign to help set up those distribution endpoints. You heard it from our guest today, Brad Menard, talking about how difficult those distribution endpoints can be for a farmer to have lined up. And so the Buy Texas Hemp Campaign is really about connecting our members with buyers of wholesale biomass distillates, oils, and crudes. And so you can visit buytexashemp.org. By doing that, by coming under the Buy Texas Hemp campaign, you are supporting Texas farmers. You're going to be able to boast to your customers that that is what your product does. And we hope you'll join us there at buytexashemp.org. And so with all of that said, I do want to thank you for joining me this evening. This has been a great episode of In the Field, and you can find episodes of In the Field on our website at hemptx.com.
org, or you can also subscribe to our show on Apple, Google Play, and Spotify. I hope you'll join us next week as we're joined by special guest Sid Miller, the Agriculture of the Texas Department of Commissioner of the Agriculture Department here in Texas. This has been your host, Zachary Maxwell. Until next time. This episode is sponsored by Buy Texas Hemp. To source wholesale hemp from Texas farmers, visit buytexashemp.org.